Um, okay. So, all right. <laughs> I'm so awkward. The beginnings, I feel like, always awkward. The transitions. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Bundle of Hers. This is part two for the BMI and racism and BMI episode. If you didn't turn tune into part one, make sure you check that out. Harjeet and I are in the remote studio with our special guest, Isis, who's a nurse at Primary Children's and has saved my butt so many times. So make sure you check out part one before tuning into this part two. We finished part one talking about what is health and our own um, experiences, either personally or as providers with health and how BMI is tied to that incorrectly and how it's flawed and harmful. But to really understand how fat phobia and white bias has become internalized in ourselves, I think it's always, for me, really important to think back on my experiences and childhood and sort of how that became the case for me and open it up to you guys. So I don't know if either of you want to start or I'm happy to start just about when was the first time you were aware of your body or weight or diet culture or felt the need to be pulled into that? I um I have struggled with weight my entire life. Just recently, maybe like two years ago, I jumped on this self-love journey and it has helped me grow significantly. But I think if I, you know, sit down and think about it, I think it all started back in sixth grade when I was just a baby. And it saddens me to think that, you know, this has been a lifelong process, but we had some coats donated to our school. And I remember being so excited to get a coat and not being able to get one because I couldn't find one to fit me. And I think that that's when I started being self-aware. And like I said, I feel like it's been a lifelong process of trying to be comfortable with my body, with who I am as a person and not let that weight or that BMI or that number define who I am as an individual. No, I have had a similar experience where also in sixth grade, I have this very distinct memory of stepping on the scale and thinking back is like, why did I even have a scale in my bathroom? (laughs) But and I reached 100 pounds. And I don't know why or where I got that idea from. But like, I just felt dread. And like, it was the worst thing ever. And I don't even know where these ideas came from, or this number, the attachment to the number. But I just remember that really being a pivotal point. From that point on, I think I never felt comfortable in my own body. I never... I went on diets and I even engaged in disordered eating almost to the point where I would call it eating disorder, restricting calories to the point where I would only eat as much as I could run and burn off. So it was like net negative calories for a day, really unhealthy things. And I did two cycles of that once, you know, in high school and then again in college And even when I was like, quote unquote, lost the weight at my goal weight, whatever that meant, I was not happy. I never felt comfortable. I never felt satisfied. And then I was always starving. And then of course, when you restrict so extremely, the yo-yo is just as extreme the opposite way. And so these like huge weight swings 
also were accompanied by a huge emotional toll on me. And I just never had any self-love, I think, until recently as well. And like you were saying, it's so sad to think back that we were just babies in sixth grade Mm -hmm. and yet so influenced by these powerful negative ideas that shaped our lives for so long. And like as someone who works with children, I, I want to prevent that so much for these this future generations. And and I'm sure maybe that weighs on you as a mother too. Oh yeah. And I incredibly feel like everything you just said. I don't think that there's a fad diet out there that I have not tried because for so long I long to feel quote unquote normal or healthy or beautiful and it's really frustrating looking back on it and seeing how much I allowed for all of that to define my happiness and yeah so with being a mom myself and you know I shared how my child is you know, she's a big girl, she's tall, she's muscular, and she does not look 10 at all. I noticed that she started having the same problems that I was having when I first started developing these issues. And that's kind of when I snapped out of it, because I never want her to struggle. I don't want any kid out there or anyone to allow social what we socially think is acceptable to prevent them from being happy. 100%. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what that transition was to self-love? So you kind of said it was, was your daughter really the catalyst for that for you? Yeah, for sure. So she came home one day and she, I could tell something had happened and she was, and we talked and she said one of the boys in her class called her fat and ugly. It just hit me. It hit my soul. You know, I have a really good relationship with her and we use that as a momentum to learn how to love ourselves. And one of the things that I've learned a lot is that whenever I talk about my weight or whenever I, you know, share with people my experiences, they're like, but you're beautiful, but you're so pretty. And it's always the but, but yeah. it's like- Yes. And I immediately stop people. And I'm like, well, I didn't say I was ugly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think of myself as an ugly person, you know. And I feel like that's kind of what I used as a momentum to realize that, you know, my weight does not define who I am as a person, as a mother, as a provider. And it just kind of started from there. And knowing that, My child looks up to me and she mimics how I treat myself. So if I'm going to love myself, then I know that hopefully that will be a good example for her. I kind of resonate with what both of you have talked about. I think I've gone through a recent self-love journey as well. But for me, a lot of it, I guess, I always knew I was a body from a young age, you know. I just remember growing up with, it was me and my sisters and um, just being girls in our family. And like we had a lot of, you know, just comments here and there about how our body was. And I think my mom always... And I understand she was also socialized like this, but she always we we had one sister that was thinner and two of us were a little bit chubbier, like we had rounder faces and stuff. So I remember growing up and 
I just had, I felt like from, you know, a super young age, I always felt like that was something that was discussed. And I am a little bit of a rebel. And so when my mom would be like, you know, you should eat this or don't eat this, I would like totally defy her (laughs) and eat whatever I wanted, right? And it was always in the background. And I think because of that, I always thought I was ugly. I never changed my behavior, though. I like still was on the defying route. Like, I'm going to eat everything I want. I'm going to do whatever I want, (laughs) which I'm happy for my body for that because I didn't deprive myself of anything. But because of what I heard, I always thought I was ugly. Like, I never, ever thought I was a beautiful person. I think that's the way diet, culture, slash fat phobia impacted my life. And then I actually had a really impactful conversation with Margo one day. We were walking, I think it was Mill Creek, right, Margo? Mm-hmm. It's Canyon yeah. here in Utah. And she was telling me a lot about her story, um, which was so fun to know because like we had never talked about it. We've known each other for a lo- several years now. I like had a conversation with her because my second year of medical school, I had um, gotten really sick. I had a lot of uh, acid reflux issues. So I went on this. I don't love using the word diet, but like I went on this diet, like I changed the way I was eating and I was eating more like whole foods, like fruits and vegetables, um, no like processed sugar. And I ended up as a byproduct uh, losing weight. So even though I did it for my health, I lost weight. And then once I had lost that weight and I had gotten so many like compliments from people, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you're looking so pretty because you lost so much weight, X, Y and Z. I feel like when I went to the opposite direction, that's when I started thinking about it more. And that is something that I'm constantly trying to combat now. A lot of it is just all these signals we get in the world. And EC's like the example you said of your daughter. It's like the way people talk about things, right? And you start associating those compliments to, oh, this must be the right way to do something because that's what everyone is saying. And that really messes with your head. I think too, Harji, I came into the self-love and sort of realization of my internalized fat phobia initially, maybe a year or two before med school when I was working as a yoga teacher and realizing that there's so many different body types and sizes. And yet here they all were in my class doing yoga. And I, I could see the beauty in each and every one of them. And I started to recognize that I wasn't allowing that offering myself that same compliment that I was allowing or giving to each of my students and seeing each of them as a beautiful person, but I couldn't see myself as that way. So I think I started to recognize that. But then when I met you in medical school and we started focusing around our our meetings were around food and celebrating food and being together and having these wonderful conversations and transformative friendship all centered around food. I started to realize how negative food had been for me and how I didn't really have that cultural upbringing of a food, right? We always ate family dinner together, but it wasn't like there's like a set cultural food, right? It's just like the American <laughs> culture. Um And so I saw that in you and your family, and I thought it was so powerful of a way to come together and that I really wasn't allowing myself to have a good relationship with food and trying to come back to that point or establish that from the first place. But I think it's something in medicine that we, as as healthcare providers, that we aren't taught is that food is good. Food is fuel and food is 
social and needed. And we so often tell our patients like, oh, your BMI is too high, lose weight. But like we as providers don't even know what that means, right? And and we make food negative. And I think that's so harmful. So that's, I think, when I started recognizing internalized fat phobia, but I have to fight it every day. Like you were saying, there will be thoughts in my head when I'm getting dressed and the scrubs don't fit right. <laughs> Just like, I need to lose weight. And I have to like catch that thought as it comes out. Yeah, because it's like, I am not going to allow this to like take hold of me and control the way I like eat or not. And Margot, I like really appreciate you bringing up that comment about food. And I kind of want to tie it into like fat phobia and racism as well, because a lot of communities, they celebrate and find love and contentment and have, you know, exciting things around food. And I think a lot of times when we start viewing food as something as negative, you lose a lot of those moments of community as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm Hispanic and everything we do surrounds food. Yes, I used I grew up in West Valley and we had a lot of Hispanic families and I used to love it. Yes, go on though. I live in West Valley. Oh, yay! <laughs> West Valley's so cool. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, food does bring people together and it doesn't have to be a negative thing. And I recently learned about intuitive eating. Have you guys heard about intuitive eating before? Yes. I think this is the big post that we bonded over. <laughs> so funny. Um, Can you talk about it a little bit more, Isis? Yeah. So I, I'm in nurse practicing school and in one of my clinicals, I followed an NP in a weight management clinic. And we had basically, we talked about every topic that we have covered so far, but she shared this book with me that goes over intuitive eating. I've known for a long time that I have a bad relationship with food. And this book has just helped me change that mindset. Because like you said, we our bodies need food. It's fuel. And four of the main ideas from this book that really um, reasoned with me was to honor your hunger because I have starved myself in the past thinking that it would help me be happy, but obviously it didn't. The second one is make peace with food. The third one is to respect your body. And the fourth one is to honor your health. And so I feel like those four main things tied into intuitive eating and have helped change my relationship with food significantly. I agree. I love it for all the same reasons. And I also being in pediatrics is realizing that we do have these natural cues and relationship with food from when we're born. And I think we're pretty good about getting fed according to those cues up until the time we're toddlers. And then we have somehow society has decided these rigid like three meals a day and, you know, ignoring cues and things like that. And so we sort of lose sight of what our body is telling us, the respect your body, listen to your body aspect. And so a big part of it for me now is like truly trying to tune in and listen. Like 
am I craving this because I'm super stressed out and I think I just need it as like a temporary thing or like, will it actually fuel me and make me feel better and sort of being intentional and intuitive about eating. And I think it's such an amazing approach and program. And it's also based off of, um, or in it sort of connects with um, the health at every size theory, which aims to improve body size diversity in and acceptance in um, healthcare. And with the idea of everything we've been talking about, that you can be any body size and be healthy. And that's not to say that like exercise doesn't have its place in not eating chocolate all day, every day isn't a good thing. But like having that good relationship, like if you are craving chocolate, you should eat chocolate, right? (laughs) And so, yeah, I love that you brought up intuitive eating and health at every size because I think those are two ways that we as medical providers can help our patients in moving forward and and sort to change this system that is sort of is stuck on BMI. I think these two methods are really great tools for getting rid of BMI in medicine once and for all. (laughs) How we're going to do that, I don't know. But the more we talk about it, I think is so powerful. The more we, for me, is just recognizing and unlearning the internalized fat phobia in myself so that I don't apply that to patients. So I love that you brought that up as a way that, and and I just think about it as a way that we can dismantle fat phobia in medicine and get rid of BMI. This is me, but like I'll see a chart and someone will say like overweight or obese and like I change it. (laughs) Yes. I love that. (laughs) I'm like, that's not going to be in my history. (laughs) Like I'll maybe put something like, for example, if someone has like obstructive sleep apnea, right? One of the risk factors might be like a bigger like neck and circumference. Yeah. So I'll just say there's some, there could be physical reasons for an obstruction, but I will never say they're like obese or overweight or fat. And when I see it in other notes and I'm like copying them forward for the next day, I'll like take it off. Perfect. (laughs) It's the little things that we can do. Really the issue is, Margot, And I think the reason we're having this whole conversation is we are causing as providers so much harm Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to fat phobia. We are perpetuating fat phobia. We are active participants in allowing fat phobia to persist. I think we've allowed as a community, as a medical community to have a lot of people have psychological and social damage because of fat phobia. And I see that a lot as a future psychiatrist and someone who's maybe practiced like three months in psychiatry already. I see how much it impacts people, especially on a mental level. So then my question is, are you really talking about this? Is it really, quote unquote, healthy or unhealthy? Because we're doing so much so much damage, actually. And the fact that, I'll be honest, I didn't really know the history of BMI until I started. I saw one little snippet on Instagram maybe a couple months ago about the history of BMI. And then when I started looking into it, realized how it actually is racist and not valid as a tool, but yet we use and put so much weight onto it. And like you said, Harjeet, the agency and autonomy for a person is so paramount and connected to their health. And then when you think about people who are oppressed by a white supremacist or colonized system that we live in, we're only adding insult to injury. And by using a tool that doesn't even apply to them to tell them yet another reason why they're not okay to be who they are. Yeah. 
Exactly. And also, I think the biggest issue I have is a lot of people will go to the doctor's office and then they'll be told that, you know, you're overweight, you're obese, you should lose weight, period. Okay, so like, can we have a discussion about that? Can we talk about our relationship with food? Can we talk about why in society I'm taught the way that I look or someone else looks is like the ideal way to look? Can we have those conversations? You cannot just give people facts. You need to complicate the conversation, right? I think that's where I am like, we need to be careful the way we talk to people. I feel like as healthcare providers, people come to us when they're most vulnerable. We have the power to educate people and guide them towards happiness because I always associate healthiness and happiness together. And I think that, you know, we're talking about BMI and weight and we need to look at the whole picture because I learned recently that, and it might sound silly that I just learned this, but, you know, we're so quick to judge a person by the way they look and we initially think, oh, they're just lazy or, oh, they just don't know how to stop eating. But there's so much more that encompasses how that person, you know, their journey and why they have reached that point in their lives. Like we don't think about other diseases or medication side effects or a psychological trigger that might have happened earlier in their lives. And I think that as medical providers, we really need to be aware of all those other things. It's so true. Unlike hypertension or diabetes, where you can look at a person and you, you wouldn't be able to tell if they had those otherwise, because weight is a visible characteristic, it's so easy for us to attach and diagnose and pathologize people just based on an appearance or a look, right? And that's part of our socialized fat phobia. And I think it really gets beat into us in our meta, in our training of like high weight equals heart disease, right? And you just make these quick snap judgments. And like you said, there's so much more depth to a person beyond their weight that in that factors into who they are and their health and every aspect of them. And it's so important that we move away from that. I think what's really hard is that we've been socialized by our society to be fat phobic and then even more in our training. You can make a snap judgment based on looking at someone like you were just talking about, ECs. And I think for me, a huge part is unlearning that internalized connection and judgment. So one of the things I've been trying to do is follow people on Instagram um, that are body liberation and body liberation influencers. And two names accounts come off the top of my head are at your fat friend and at fat lip podcast. And they both do a great job of portraying people of all sizes and doing everyday things. And so the more I see those on my feed, the more it normalizes in my brain the connection that these are just people and I shouldn't try to pathologize or diagnose them the way that my brain has sort of been trained and socialized to do. So that's one of the ways that I'm trying to overcome that. But it's so hard and I get caught in it. I think every day I catch myself making a judgment or noticing something and having to like really catch it and and tell myself like rewrite and reframe that behavior. 
I think that that's like really good advice of how, you know, you're seeing different mindsets and different images that really help you reshape the way you're thinking about something. Another way that each one of us can really start this journey on our own is having these conversations about our personal story and our personal relationship with fat phobia, diet culture, and food. And I think once we have those conversations with ourselves, we are able to see that world in a different way and be more in tune with it. And also, I was going to say something that reminded me of is we connect fat and food a lot. But even that connection is so it's so complex, right? And like we had already discussed, food is a place where we build community. It's a way we pass on stories. It's a way we pass on cultures. It's a way we like bond with each other, right? And like taking something so sacred and connecting it with BMI it's actually really sad. It's like actually destroying something so sacred, right? And I think really thinking about that is something that all of us can do together. I agree. I love that. We should all just eat food all the time and then everybody will be happy. (laughs) Yes, if you know me, I love food. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Well, that was a wonderful conversation. Isis, it was so um, amazing to hear your stories and we really loved sharing our own stories as well. We really hope this will be a um, starting point or a point in someone's journey about understanding, you know, fat phobia, weight bias, and our relationship with food. Um, I hope you will continue to have these conversations with your friends over a really, really good meal. Um, That's what we love to do. And continue to join us in our conversations. And if you have any thoughts that you want to share please share them at at bundle of hers on Instagram. You can also go to bundleofhers.com to get any more information about our podcast. Thank you, everyone. Boop, boop. Bye. Boop. <laughs>